This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. <laughs> We're back to our dulcet tones here at TDPS. Always We're talking. To sound, what? You go first. I didn't have a joke. Trying to sound like podcasters. Trying to sound like podcasters. Absolutely for NPR. Right. Um, but we're not like, unlike most podcasters, we're not going to smoke weed, talk to you about Afghanistan. Or, uh, yeah, there's a big thing on the Joe Rogan show, right? Elon, Mo- Elon Musk smoked weed on the Joe Rogan experience whatever it's called so okay. we don't do that here we don't have guests here which which makes things a lot easier i mean <laughs> you're a really high maintenance on the weed smoking guests <laughs> by not having guests in the first place I, i'm high maintenance enough i'm i'm the special guest every week yes absolutely um i uh didn't I, that bit is over we're done with the opening bit yeah, we have that. a <laughs> which clearly nobody wrote and we did not rehearse <laughs> because that didn't go great. Also, like Moving most on. podcasters, unrehearsed and unwritten. Uh, today is the return of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club, which only goes away for like one or two weeks at a time. But I always act like the return is a huge deal, and I'm going to do that today. We talked some. It is a huge deal. It I think is, people actually is, like the show. Uh, that, Not it, a lot of them, but some. The, the dozens and dozens of people. <laughs> the point is, it's more than dozens. The point is, it doesn't go away for long enough to justify a lot of fanfare when it comes back. It's just an intermittent thing here and at our podcast. I always say at this point in the conversation, <laughs> it actually never goes away. We're always doing Christopher and Eric's True Crime <laughs> we are. TV Club. You guys just get to hear an hour of it from yes. time to time. Absolutely. <clears throat> so we talked some about this on our last episode. We talked about your new love for home. Just to remember the last episode. <laughs> I don't watch this show. <laughs> well, good because it's a podcast. There's nothing to see. We took down our video cameras. See? So we, you show up with your hair flying in five different directions God. and wearing pajamas Do and you bed slippers. That? We were being advised by somebody who. I think the I clinical the term is an idiot um, <laughs> who convinced us that we could put up security cameras in the booth where we would record the show. You've seen what security camera like. Imagine your this ring was cam, but this was way before ring, ring cam. and nest and all yeah, of those. This yeah. Was this, so it was dead silent, and that we would be able to just sync up the the audio from the show. Um, to the whatchamacallit. And I actually said in the business meeting, and if this doesn't work, I get to hit you, right? Mm -hmm. I never got to hit him. So uh, they owe me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because he agreed. He said, yes, you can hit me. Because it did not work. Oh, it so didn't work. But if anybody would like to buy a a gently used uh, home (laughs) security camera system, it's in the box in the the uh, hand cream room. Here but, at- but then we had a better system, and we have some clips of that on our YouTube channel. 
we haven't put any up recently, but we should maybe try to get cameras in here again just for this podcast and see if we can do something. I don't know why we're talking about this. We have a huge true crime TV club to do. Is this your fault that we got on this subject or my fault? I assume that it's yours. I it's always probably assume mine. that it's yours. It's fault. probably mine. Okay. But it's, it's the, the, <laughs> that went better than the I thought. The point of the story is um, I clearly brought that up. You are lucky that you cannot see the condition Eric is currently in. He looks like he's been living. I'm just oh kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> So you're not waiting to talk smack about me on ChristopherRiceBooks.com. What did everybody think of our fun new ad for my website? Let us know on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page. Did it sell page. any books? I mean, <laughs> I think that's the real question. I, I, I don't know. It might get us arrested. You're hitting employees. That man is not an employee that we told that story about. Okay. Um, we talked about- And I didn't hit him. We, but I wanted to. Nobody was hit. Wanting yes. to is not the same thing. Home renovation shows- Oh my God, I love home renovation shows so much. They need to do more of the ones that I want. There need to be more gay people. Mm-hmm. David, whatever his name is, at HGTV <laughs> we needs still, to do. Between the last episode and this one, we have still not managed think to look we up his have name. looked it up, but we have not. Christopher <laughs> is looking it up currently. Oh, I and So we'll tell you. But yeah, it's it's something surprisingly German because he looks a little Asian. He's beautiful. Dave um, Bromstad. Bromstad. See? Doesn't that sound I, a little I German? I believe he might be biracial. I think he is I have no idea. A mixed He's just gorgeous. Yes. Um, and one design star. And he does these shows, and he's very nice and very interesting. Like, he does a show Adorable. where he helps people um, who've won huge lottery settlements buy fabulous homes, which is kind of great. But the thing that I love on home renovation shows is the before and after. Mm-hmm. Like, the reveal. Mm-hmm. Particularly to homeowners. But if there's a reveal in general, the before and after. Like, um... There's a thing called Bargain Mansions that I've watched every episode of. There, there was a thing called Hometown, mm-hmm. which I quite enjoyed. That was very emotional. Nate and and Jeremiah were wonderful. And even the boys from, whose names we also haven't looked up, um, from, what is it called? Bargain, Bargain Block. Block. Bargain Block. Um, there, Even though there's not typically, um, there's not homeowners, they do show the house to uh, potential buyers. Yeah, they're they're essentially flippers of a sort. It's it's really distressed houses that they're buying. Um, but they it ends with them trying to sell the house. Keith and Evan. Yeah, Keith Br- so Bynum and Evan Thomas David are the stars of Bargain Bromstad Block. Needs to do one like Keith and Evan. Yeah, and uh, and Nate and Jeremiah, where they do where they fix houses. So that there's that big reveal moment. Like, mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. I kind of need that. He does that with the color show, but it's still, it's not the same. So all of that. He painted the living room. All of that. It's nice, but really. All of this, all of yes. that, all of that, all of this is about leading up to this week's episode of True Crime Oh, right. TV I forgot Club. it's True Crime TV Club. Home Renovation Homicide is the title of the episode. It's an episode of 48 Hours, Season 33, Episode 47, our standard disclaimer. How hot is this? Our two favorite things, home renovation shows and true crime TV. And we won't tell you what else, but there's another of our favorite things along the way. It's right? a twist down the right? road. Um Season 33, episode 47. You do not need to watch this episode to know what we are talking about. Our job here is to serve it up for you. Because you'll never know what we're talking about. (laughs) Because nobody ever knows what we're talking about. (laughs) We're not entirely sure most of the time. We just get started and we kind of can't stop. Anyway, so yes. Okay, so I'm going to start us off here with my compendious and overwritten notes. Um, And I will say this. Which I really appreciate, by the way. I'm glad you 
tease him about it, we would be lost without them. I really have to say, though, sometimes I feel like, do I really need to take a note about the color of this woman's shirt? But apparently I do, because that's how we keep track of who's who. Yes, I think that can be essential sometimes. We don't always need it, but when we do, there it is. I just want to say this. As someone who is alongside you... Uh, watched a lot of true crime TV shows, 48 Hours has the most aggressive theme song of any of them. It makes me feel like I am being personally attacked. It's like... He looks like angry it. You should violence. see his face, dun, 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 He looks dun, really... Yeah, dun, dun, he looks, dun, dun, dun. He's really concerned about this. Dun, 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 dun. much more sensitive to dun, 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 musical dun. tracks than I had realized. Well, the Dateline song is so jazzy. It's like, yeah, someone got killed. I mean, it's not really those lyrics. Slow jamming the murders. Slow jamming Keith. You know, all that sort of stuff. Okay, so we got a really aggressive theme song accompanied by crows or ravens flying off some black and white branches or something. Because they're trying desperately to have anything to show us. Um, Let me say this. That the Keith, Dateline Keith, who is a famous celebrity yes. in the world of true crime in particular, his counterpart in the world of 48 Hours is Erin Moriarty. And she has a very distinctive voice. She's a very distinctive looking woman. Is that the She's one, got the Aaron one Moriarty. Big, yeah. Yeah, she she was... is less a presence in this than Keith is usually a presence in Dateline, but she is the one interviewing. I think she has a criminal justice background. I'm not entirely sure about that. <laughs> or she's been arrested for something. <laughs> we're not sure. She's not. We're not saying that Aaron Moriarty has ever been arrested. We have no but evidence we, of that. But we can't prove that she wasn't either. <laughs> By listening to this podcast, you testify that nothing we say may be true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, 48 Hours episodes usually start with a stinger because they very rarely offer any closure, unlike some of the other shows that we review, which I know Eric hates. He's already shaking his really, head. Really? Like, yeah. This yeah. was not my big success with me. 3.51 p.m. on April 24th, 2018, a 911 call is received by, I believe, the Orlando, Florida Police Department. From a gentleman named David Tronis. The OPD. The OPD, which is on everything. It's on everything. It's the most branded police department I may have ever seen. They also make soap. I think so. And uh, yeah, home uh, home products line. Um, they The 911 call from David Tronis is saying he came home and he found his wife in the bathtub. She was not breathing. It turns out she has been extensively beaten. Dave has asked to go to the police station. Which he station. doesn't mention. Yeah, which he doesn't mention. But this is all bunched together in this teaser. It was like they gave us too much information that they later thread out. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> it was all the information. Yeah, because it's really all because the information. There's really they nothing have. that happens after this. <laughs> Dave has asked to go to the police station. He remains there voluntarily. He doesn't request a lawyer, and he consents to swabs and clippings, as so many of All us All of do. which they show you. Like, it's like a spa visit. It's it's the most, the, it's almost comical, <laughs> all of these things of them taking off his shirt and swabbing his I'm nose. I'm sorry. Can bagging I his you? hands. I just had a vision for a spa chain that tries to- The OPD uh, spa the, chain? You get the experience of being arrested, and, and you know, it's part of the spa treatment. Right. Soul exfoliation. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, anyway, um, yeah, he and the detectives go at it, and Dave doesn't confess. They've all told you this in like the first thirty seconds of this episode. It's like, okay, and that's where are really, we going to go? That's the here? show. <laughs> um, There's other details, but really, that's the show. We're introduced to a neighborhood, Delaney Park, which is lovely. It looks lovely and historical. Um, the couple, which seems unlikely in Orlando, which was built, you know, twenty five years ago, <laughs> and rebuilt by Walt Disney, right? Uh, 
Uh, David is married to a woman named Sherry Tronis. That's who he placed the 911 call about. But now we're going back in time to a happier time in their lives. The couple had been married for more than a year. They'd known each other for five. Dave is described by mutual friends as highly intelligent. Um, Shanti, oh, I'm sorry. He does this thing with his eyes. Her name is Shanti. That's a little, maybe he's related to Michelle Bachman. There's this thing with his eyes. There's so much we're about to discover about David. Anyway. Um, I'm sorry. The victim's name is Shanti Tronez, not Sherry. That's a fuck up in my own notes. Shanti is a hardworking, dedicated mom whose world is her son, Jackson, who was then eight years old. But who's also a hugely successful software, um, Designer, she Jackson. She launched some. Um, yeah, she works from home. She's no, but launched. Jackson some... is her eight-year-old, so you're not saying he's the. No, no, yeah. she is. I yeah. said she is also. No, the son is. He's adorable, but I don't think. <laughs> I was, was going to say I'm going to get be. myself a son if they he can get could that be, successful. He could be. Uh, he might be, but I don't think so. Yeah, no, she was a hugely successful. Yeah. Um, she launched a, an app or something that they never say software. because it would be interesting. It's yeah. So, but we get that sort of, and she works from home, but she's very successful. Uh, and she has shared custody of her son with his father, Jim Cooper, who she divorced in 2013. All of and this it was is apparently happening... really a terrible divorce. Yeah. All of this is happening in 2018, I should say again. Um, so she launched a lucrative home software business, you just said. Uh, she meets Dave over the internet, which is how so many of these true crime tales begin. I met my spouse over the internet. I and know then he killed me. I shouldn't judge because so many people, it's not a representative sample. Honestly, but... like the thing that's all always like, okay, so it would have been better if you were both drunk at a bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, like, you have to meet people where you meet them, and this just happens to be the way in which a lot of us engage socially right now, but I don't think it's qualitatively any safer or more dangerous than anything else. But I'll tell you, a very wise best friend named Eric Shaw Quinn has told me this about internet communications. It's fine to meet them on the internet, but you need to get to know them off the internet. Yes. If you continue to only engage with them online, you don't know that anything about you them is real. You need IRL. Yeah, you need in real life, in a brightly lit public place, like a coffee right. house. Not, yeah. I then moved across the country to live with them was the first time we met. Like, that's not a good thing. And I don't know, we don't know that this happened with them. It didn't, I don't think. But it's still, it's this is how they met. It sounds like the delay between their meeting and their marriage, which was about five years, had more to do with the fact that Sherry had, uh, Shanti, excuse me, had just ended a long marriage. Um, And I believe maybe Dave had too. Dave had also been previously married. Uh, He moves to Orlando to be closer to her. Uh, While there, he falls in love with the Delaney Park neighborhood. And he falls in love with a particular house, 218 East Copeland Drive. Which he then buys, sort of buys. He buys. He and his mom buy with right. some sort of trust or LLC or something, like you do. But he buys the house. For the price tag of $607,500, which the real estate agent says is a great deal. <laughs> Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. 
why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Okay, so the way Dave buys the house, though, is going to become relevant because he pays cash, but then he puts it in a trust for him and his mother. That's not involving his... I think he's married Shanti at this point, or are they dating? I can't remember. I don't know at what point they got married in relationship to the sale, but he did buy the house. But then what happens is Shanti begins paying for the renovation, which seems like a fair deal. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, half and half. Mm -hmm. If you're going to half the house, then maybe by the time she buys up. Like, it didn't seem, it seemed like they were trying to make it seem more suspicious than it was. And it seemed like, okay, you know, some sort of financial partnership thing. And I don't know where the cash came from, but 600, over $600,000 in cash is a lot of money. For him to have paid for that And they house. don't really say where it came from. Do they ever say what Dave did for a living? N- not particularly. I don't think so, like yeah. I, I, they, it may have said it at the beginning, but I didn't. The point was, by this time, he wasn't doing anything. He was mostly in charge of renovating the house, and that became sort of its own new thing. And this ties into our previous conversation. I love it when things tie in. Your, your favorites, Nate and Jeremiah, they're one of their home design shows on Discovery Plus or uh, HGTV, I should say, is about coming in and rescuing people who have tried to do a remodel themselves. Yes. And that's exactly, Nate and Jeremiah do not appear on this episode of True Crime TV Club, but that is what Dave and Shanti essentially try to do. They tear the house down to the studs and they do a terrible job. And they eventually contact a different home renovation show called Zombie House Flipping. Which is really much more there. Like, the the guy comes in from Zombie House Flippers and says, the only thing holding this house up is the stucco on the outside of it. (laughs) They had gutted the damn thing without realizing it. Really badly. Like, they clearly do not know what they're doing. But they're moving into doing the show on... um, you know, HGTV, or as a home renovation show, I assume he's HGTV. Yeah, I don't know. I, I should look up zombie house flipping. I had never heard of it before. It also looked like it was, I don't know, it may not be on the air anymore. The guy's name is Keith Ori, O-R-R-I-E, if you want to look him up on the internet yourselves, party people. Uh, he says, he also describes- clearly we haven't done Because we haven't done our We're home. just doing the show. <laughs> Too busy judging. That's right? our story. Um, they describe at this point the living situ- the actual living situation for Dave and Shanti, and it's it's bad. They're living in the garage on separate floors, and they show pictures of how they're living, and the dogs are crawling all over they them. They have a it's... garage apartment that yeah. she's living in, which actually doesn't seem as it bad looks as all awful. that to me. It looks fucking he, terrible. He, on the other hand, is living in the garage <laughs> with the dogs. There's like a sectional sofa set up in the garage. That looks really awful. Her, her part looked messy, but yeah. that's kind of on her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had the inconsiderate. Um, she made the inconsiderate choice to die before the shoot was probably right. arranged. Maybe she would have tidied up if she had yeah. known we were going to be filming, or maybe the police were just really messy. The OPD when right. they were there. So they're going to use the house on the show, zombie house flipping, 
Filming is set to begin in early May, but suddenly they can't get Dave and Shanti on camera together, which means they can't get them to be in the same room together, basically. Um, and somebody is sleeping in the garage. So, yeah, there's like there's clues. Maybe all paradise is not quite what it seems from the curb. And then the uh, they're interviewing the prosecutor because there's no suspense to this episode whatsoever. They begin None. interviewing the prosecutor whose name is actually the former prosecutor who handled the case at the time. His name is Keith Vescio. Ryan Vescio. I'm just going to get everybody's name wrong Who is just today. the most chucklehead <laughs> prosecutor I have ever seen. He's having a great time. He's laughing and carrying on and making jokes about it. And it's like, wow, still a murder case there, guy. <laughs> we, we might be in a glass house on that one you know we make our own you know, we are not a prosecutor yes that's true we are not prosecuting anybody's case um so uh the vescio reveals to us in his interview that shanti had been trying for a year to get her name on the trust that owned the house and dave wouldn't follow through which makes it sound as if dave had said yes he would do it and then never completed it um, but she has, at this point, bankrolled a quarter of a million dollar renovation. Which is still not half of what he's already spent on the house. So I just keep bringing that up because it's easy to present that detail without fully you know, explaining it and have it seem one way. And it didn't seem that way to me. I, they kept trying yeah. to present it as though he was trying to swindle her. And I'm like... No, he paid cash for that house. And she was living there. I also, there was a faint note of sexism around this. I, I want to make this point carefully, but this idea that, like, if a woman paid for anything, it was a really big deal. It's not done. And she, you know, and it was like. And he was just the pool boy. Right. He was just cleaning the pool and doing the renovation, which is actually kind of huge. And he's put together this deal to have a TV show come in and fix their house, which I don't think is nothing. It's a, it's a full-time job. But this is the this is the lesson that we can share as television viewers of both this episode and multiple home renovation shows. And I just want to put this out there. Speaking as a television viewer and a personality. <laughs> Speaking as a person and an individual. Right. Do not do a renovation of this size yourself. The reason there is a booming business in these shows is because you are not qualified to tear your own house down to the studs. Unless you are a contractor or have worked with a contractor, and even do then, not do this. And even then, kind okay. of a questionable choice. So we're then introduced to uh, Dave's defense attorney, who um, uh, makes a lot of the points Eric just did. His name is Richard Seleski, that these selective facts about their relationship and their marriage are being presented in a biased light. That Dave behaved at the police station after being after voluntarily going there. Following there's his not a mark call. on his body. Yeah. There's not a scratch. They he let them take cheek swabs and scrape under his fingernails and absolutely gave him this clothes. Like complete cooperation for hours, and they did not have a shred of proof that connected him to this crime. But here's the weird part, and I had to roll this back to be sure I had heard this right. While she's found in the bathtub, there's no water in the bathtub. I just thought that was really a strange, and they didn't really explain it. Like, did he let the water out when he took her out of the tub to try and resuscitate her, which he tried to do, apparently? I or... think the bathtub was incidental. I think what you were supposed to believe, that whoever beat her, beat her close to the bathtub, and she fell in the bathtub. And if you believe Dave's story, it was an intruder who then ran away. She didn't drown. Nobody didn't ever die. claims no. that. Like The cause of the death beating. is strangulation. They determine that. She's got a bruise on her cheek and her eye is, excuse me, her cheek is bloody and her eye is bruised, which is that a result of strangulation? Or is that something you I just think see somebody in like somebody got punched in the face yeah. to me. That's what it sounds like. Or from falling and hitting her face on the tub. I have no idea. 
Um, there was no water splashed around the bathroom to suggest that the bathtub had been full at one time and there had been a struggle involving the bathtub. The inside of the tub is dry, but she's damp. That was the detail. She is damp, the tub is dry and empty. Which was weird. And Dave is saying only five minutes elapsed uh, from his discovery of her body to his placing the 911 call. Okay. Um, and he just says, when they question him about all these other weird details, he says, I don't have any idea. I didn't do this. So I am not, I have no no, no information to offer. He agrees to a polygraph, but it's too late at night to administer it, so they let him go. That's also presented like it was Dave's fault that he agreed late at night, even though that's usually the point yeah, at which it I, comes. I just, I have to say, one of the things that I got from this was not very good police investigation. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't, didn't rise to last month's level of mm-hmm. complete incompetence, but I was not impressed with yeah. their with their overall behavior to try and... Um, you know, generally intimidate him into confessing to this crime as opposed to investigating the crime and offering any real... He gave them any evidence they wanted and all the access they wanted, and they got nothing. And they... Um, the pressure campaign they waged against him is that night. So this is this is a classic example of tunnel vision. They haven't had time to interview anybody else who knows her. They haven't had time to interview other suspects. They have decided They've just it's got him. him. He's there voluntarily. He doesn't have a lawyer. And they've they're decided trying to sweat him. him into a confession. And but I, I just thought that's I just think that's bad police work. But before we started doing this podcast, I was of the mind. I was like, if I'm ever accused of anything really terrible, I'll just and I'm innocent. I'm just going to go in without a lawyer to demonstrate my innocence. No fucking way. Not after the stories I have heard on the show. Not after South of Salem, one of our first episodes where the woman who was a lesbian went in to say, I absolutely did not molest these kids and then spent 12 fucking years or plus in prison before she was exonerated. I am never going in without a lawyer no matter how innocent well, I am. Well, I'm never going in at all. Yeah. Like, if they don't arrest me, I'm not going in. Because I just, we hear like, this. that's yeah. the thing. You can leave whenever you want to. Leave. Mm-hmm. Like, it's fine to go in, say something for half an hour, or answer basic questions about, make a statement, mm-hmm. and then leave. But yeah. that does not involve you being in an interrogation room or on camera or anything else. Yeah. And then you leave. I just I just think it's I, I think it's bad practice. Okay. So they're also at this point we're introduced to Cindy Dow, who is a relative of Shanty's, who basically explains to us how she went from believing Dave was an amazing, charming, wonderful man to being turned against him. Um and then an important lead falls into the detective's laps. A worker from a venue known as Club Orlando. I mean, from completely out of left field. Out of nowhere. We're not even sure temporally when this happens in and around their investigation, but... He says, oh, I know Dave Trones because Dave has several, several memberships here. And oh, by the way, Club Orlando is a same-sex bathhouse, as it's described. I'm sure there are tons of lesbian couples in that bathhouse just you yeah, know, going I'm to sure. town on each I'm other. I'm sure that's what's happening. Um, the employee says he witnessed Dave having sex with men at the club. But the defense attorney says, oh, Shanti knew all about that. She didn't give a shit. Shanti's relatives say... That's absolutely horseshit. She had no idea, and she probably would have cared if she had known. So the prosecutor's case is now Shanti found out. She threatened to cut off funding for the house, and Dave beat her to death. Now, here is where we get to the engagement ring, and I'm interested to hear what your opinion is of this. So Dave says to, um, or they discover, I can't remember if Dave tells them this or if they discover that Shanti's $15,000 engagement ring is missing. 
but none of the other thousands of dollars worth of valuables that were in plain sight are missing. Right. So there's a lack of forced entry. There's no evidence of struggle at the scene. A PI hired by the defense begins canvassing the neighbors and the ALT. <laughs> this is the part where the special really made me laugh. They all say that we have this homeless man who was hanging out the area who looked like Woody Harrelson. And they keep <laughs> they flashing. A picture of Woody Harrelson. Like, what did he do? Why is he Leave homeless? Woody out of this. I'm not that big a fan, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, what? Leave the man alone. He didn't do anything. And they don't show the homeless man and fine because he's not ultimately relevant <laughs> to the case either. But they find the homeless guy. They interview him. And he, I guess, has an And he alibi. says, no. No. <laughs> All right. Like, that's about it. That's all he says. But they literally play the recording of him saying, no, it's really kind of ridiculous. And they, they also look at her ex-husband. He's eliminated because he has an alibi. I'm going to say this. I know I've said this a bunch before. Actual cops that I have talked to, and these are, you know, actual cops. We're not talking about a scripted drama here. They're like, everybody has an alibi. Like, that's not incontrovertible proof. Everybody has somebody who's willing to lie for them. You have to go a step or two further to really establish that an alibi is valid, that other people witness them. But, like, yeah, my wife says I was at home. Of course. You know, everybody's got a fucking alibi. So, Yes. Um, but he was in a different city, and those are the alibis that are easiest to verify. Yeah. Because if there's no travel record. Okay. Right. August 29th, 2018, Dave is arrested on a charge of first-degree murder. He's held without bail. The day of his arrest, they find that missing engagement ring in his suitcase. In a ring box. Okay. Who found... Who did... I can't remember. Who found that the ring was missing? I honestly would think that he would be the one to tell... Because how would anybody else know that... Yeah. That it was missing if he didn't tell them that. Yeah. I just, it's one of those details. The thing about the detail is that it was his money. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't touch any, there was diamond earring on the bedside table and in her ear, didn't mm-hmm. touch them. There was all kinds of valuable stuff around the house. There was $5,000 cash and that ring were missing. Mm-hmm. He was out $600,000 and she wasn't paid. She wasn't fully vested in that house, and he wanted his money back or to go forward with the deal. And she wouldn't do the TV show, which was going to pay to get that house done. And she was saying she wasn't going to pay any more to do the house. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, seems way more about the motive. So, But you think Dave is guilty. You just think they're wrong about the motive. Absolutely. Dave is guilty. There's no sign of anybody else it could possibly be. I mean, I guess... The ex-husband could have wanted custody of the son, which he got, mm-hmm. um, and killed her over it. But that doesn't – they didn't present any proof of that. Maybe that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it seems to me that this is a fight about money. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know about the rest of it, and I think that the bathhouse and all of the rest of it seems like a red herring to me. But let's go – let's talk about Dave's previous marriage because that was the part where I was like, wow. They started to allege things for which they did not have a lot of proof. They investigate Dave's previous marriage to a Minnesota woman named Carol. Uh, Carol, apparently during the course of their marriage, began to suffer strange health problems. And they speculate, suddenly, in the midst of this special, that Dave was probably poisoning her. And she denies it. Uh, And then the Eric Shaw Quinn of it all comes into play. (laughs) 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Cops have gone to Minnesota. They're investigating Dave's ex-wife, Carol, who apparently had mysterious health problems when they were married. They believe that Dave was poisoning her. And the reason they believe this, Eric Shaw Quinn, she had an appendectomy, just as you did several weeks ago, which means now you probably suspect me of poisoning you, well, even though I don't make your food for Shanti you. it was Shanti who had the appendectomy. Oh, it was Shanti. Sorry, yeah. I fucked that up. And the thing that was really interesting to me about it was what he says was she was having a hard time finding a diet that she could eat, which has been one of the interesting aspects of the appendectomy. It's all about Eric. It's everybody drink. Everybody drink. It's all about me this week. But, um, but okay, but this is where I, I was so upset about this is that Shanti having an appendectomy is not proof that she was being poisoned. And (laughs) when they talked to the wife, she said, my health problems continued long after he was gone. So there's no way that he's still poisoning me. Mm -hmm. Um, They seem really friendly and still maybe even connected. There was some... Chucklehead. They have um, a joint bank account. Yeah, Carol with, and Dave. With yeah. Lots of money in it, and she's it's not her money. So I think Dave had money. Yeah. Of his own. And they, I'm not sure what the source of it was, but there is yeah, there was there was a lot of gray area in all of this. I, this I, is a badly done episode. It was a very sorry. poorly and I really felt kind of gypped. I mm-hmm. felt like they used the home improvement thing to 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 reel me in and then that really had nothing to do with the show. They after. reeled me in cuz I'm the one that noticed it in the summary and I was like, "Oh, Eric, we're talking about home improvement shows. We should do this." And it was like, "Yeah, this is about um a wedding ring and, you know, and some weird financial yeah. arrangement that went bad and and he killed her over it." I'm not sure how, you know, maybe she was mad because he was doing other guys I don't know what their relationship was like. Mm-hmm. There was no evidence of that. Okay, let's talk about... The, but something had gone wrong. The defense attorney, it is then revealed that we have been hearing from, is in fact not Dave's first defense attorneys, because his first defense attorneys are being brought up on charges for withholding evidence, which they say after they describe the extent to which they were withholding all this evidence. And I'm sitting there like, they're withholding evidence. What are they doing? A green cord that they apparently removed from the premises, which could easily have been used to strangle her. But wasn't. Um, no, but it turns out to have her DNA on it, didn't it? Or did no. I get that wrong? No, it does not have Shanti's DNA on it. No, yeah. it had nothing. There was no link to the green cord. But there was something else. What was the other thing? It was a comforter. Thing? There was a bloody sheets. Did that have her? The bed The bed stuff had blood on it. Like, yes. There was blood on the bed, and there was blood on the sheets. And he said, well, it was probably, you know, menstrual blood. And they said it wasn't. But the thing that was really strange to me about that is an enormous amount of bleeding is not actually a, 
a symptom of being strangled. Like, <laughs> she wasn't a particularly bloody corpse. She right. had been punched in the face. She had a bruised eye and a bloody cheek. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't that much blood. It was not a bloody scene. So I kind of think, and they even said it was inadmissible because of the because it had been discovered by the private investigator and secreted mm-hmm. um, by the uh, defense attorneys until they felt like they had to admit that they had it. But they said... I don't even see how it's how it's relevant to the story because they think that maybe she was murdered in the bed. That's yeah. that's the only thing that they think because there's also blood on the bed frame that they found, mm-hmm. which was hers, and it wasn't menstrual blood. So yeah. it was her blood. So maybe they got into it. He punched her and then strangled her because she wouldn't do the interviews with the, the show, and he was afraid he was going to be out $600,000. Yeah. So, okay. So Vecchio, the, def- the, the former prosecutor, had crafted his own theory by this point, and it was hinging on the fact that they found one of uh, Shanti's earrings on the nightstand and the other was still in her ear. So he posits that she was sitting on the side of the bed getting ready to go to sleep, and Dave attacked her. Um, she didn't use her phone after 11.30 p.m., so that establishes somewhat of a time of death. And then enter Edward Gismondi, the classic jailhouse snitch who is a Beyond staple of all oh of these God. stories. The most ridiculous jailhouse snitch I've ever seen in my shows entire up, life. Shows up for his 48 hours interview in some sort of rock band T-shirt and with bedhead not really camera ready, doesn't seem to even know what that concept even means. Um, and he says, I shared a jail cell with Dave. When he got out of jail, Edward Gismonti went to the detectives and he said that he and Dave, <laughs> sorry, discussed obscure hallucinogens, one of which, sapo, is a poison derived from a South American frog. And Dave said, you can put it in people's salsa to kill them. <laughs> I'm sorry. It shouldn't be laughing about this, but it's like, what the fuck? Where is this coming from? A South American frog poison? That's it's coming from people? Mr. Drughead. <laughs> it's the only thing he's got. He's making up stories, and so he just uses his own information about poison salsa. Nobody has been poisoned in this story. There is no evidence that Dave was using hallucinogens or drugs of any kind introduced into the story, or that he poisoned anybody, or that anybody died from being poisoned. So... I think that Mr. Guzmando, mm-hmm. um, just he knew that fact and included it in to you know add color and detail to the lie he was telling them about. Um, what's his name? Telling him that he murdered his wife. Yes, but he's saying that he murdered his wife because she found a gay hookup app on his phone and <laughs> said she'd show everyone, and he snapped. So, um, but they couldn't corroborate anything about the story because there was no app on Dave's phone. And he'd never bought one, and there was no evidence that he ever had bought one, and there was no sale records or anything in his credit card information or anything else. And they could find his memberships to the bathhouse. Why would he need a grinder account if he's just going to go to the bathhouse? Um, it's not like you'd invite him over to his wife's apartment to yeah. have sex, and who'd want to hang out with him and the dogs right. in the garage? So Gizmondi is also, by the way, a registered sex offender who's still on probation Oops. after pleading guilty. So Yeah, he was really been. a credible witness. I'm not even sure why he was on the show, except that the producers at 48 Hours thought he was funny. And then we're suddenly at a series of happily ever afters. We're told the original defense attorneys, the ones that withheld all the evidence, have been submitted for investigation for potential crimes. They look like mob lawyers. It was like the Mandels, the dangerous lawyer. Yes. Vecchio has left the state's attorney's office and is representing Shanti's estate state 
which explains why he's not doing su- so well. That's not suspicious at all. To ensure her money goes to her 10-year-old son, Jackson. Dave remains in jail. His defense attorney says the tortured chain of custody around the pivotal pieces of evidence make for a good defense. I'll fucking say. Yeah, this was just a mess of an episode. It just was like- a mess. And the investigation was a mess. Everything about it was a mess. And if they convict that man, I will be astonished because... I, while it seems pretty clear to me he did it mm-hmm. the night before and then the next day got up, went to walk the dogs, and when he got back, called and reported the crime, um, there's no evidence that any of that happened. I know. Yeah. And they don't have any evidence. They have no proof whatsoever. And he's fine. Even the woman, even the the, the cousin or whatever she was, the relative who has come to believe in his guilt, who was his fan, when she first went over to the house, she said, take off your shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see. Like, I want you to prove to me that you didn't do it. She said there was not a mark on him. Nobody attacked and strangled their wife to death and didn't get a mark on them. I think that's really weird. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he threw that comforter over the top of her and strangled her through it, and she was unable to reach to him. But it was a very suspicious. Like, there is no evidence Forgive that he did the crime. Forgive the morbidity of this question, and maybe this is something one of our party people can answer, although in this particular moment, calling them party people might not be appropriate. Can you strangle someone from behind? Is it possible to get enough pressure from behind? I don't see why not, particularly if you were physically more... Okay, I know I can be annoying, but don't try. Don't ever try on me, Eric Shawquin, even if I don't have enough cookies in the kitchen. I'm not sure I can reach up that high. <laughs> okay, that'll be my best defense. But like, yeah, that's you can my... just knock me off the step stool that I'm standing on. Lack of struggle says surprise to me, right? You've surprised someone. You're, you hit them over. There's no head injury indicating she'd been incapacitated in that way first. No. But, um, you know, uh, that that's the one thing that you got me thinking when you said that. It's like, yeah, th- there's no evidence of struggle on his body. No, so, none. Like, how would he have done that without her being able to claw at him or scratch him or punch him or slap him or or whatever? I just find that really strange. Like, maybe he wrapped her in those bedclothes and, you know, punched, stunned her, punched her and threw the the comforter over the top of her and strangled her through it. But even then, I just found it really, like, I I feel like he did it. Like, Mm -hmm. it just seems like, "Mm, yeah, there's not really evidence of somebody else who did this, but... Or why anybody else would do it. I mean, it may have been a random intruder, but he was the one who was in possession of the only stolen item that he reported. So that doesn't make much sense. I think it was a fight about money. He probably killed her. But I don't think that they've done a good enough job investigating the case. But let me add in this big caveat, which I think is a standard. uh, I love disclaimers, and it's another True Crime TV Club disclaimer. They will often, in the construction of these shows these episodes, they will leave out massive amounts of evidence for the sake of condensing the story. And we will sometimes see that if we watch more than one special about the same case. We'll be like, oh my God, why didn't they talk about the enormous amount of blood spatter evidence? Because it didn't fit into their 45-minute format. Well, I will say this about that in this particular case. If that is in fact the case, then they left out all of the evidence. (laughs) Because there is absolutely no evidence at all. Yeah. In this thing, other than that, you know, there was some blood on a comforter, which since she wasn't stabbed to death, doesn't really prove anything. And there's no other evidence connecting him to having committed this crime. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's not under her fingernails. It's not on his body. There's not. They did all the DNA testing they could do, and they could not in any way present any actual evidence that he had done this crime. And mm-hmm. I, you know, no other evidence was presented. Do you think it's possible that the wrong motive, even for someone who is likely guilty, if the detectives attach themselves to the wrong narrative of guilt, even if the guilt seems highly possible, that that can lead them down the wrong investigative road? They can start looking for the wrong pieces of evidence. I think that maybe it's true because, like, the thing that I kept wanting more information about was the money. Mm-hmm. Like, I found there that there was. You know, there seemed to be some aspect to the arrangement they had made. He paid for the house. It was in an LLC that he and his mom possessed. She was never interviewed. Never. Or included. No information was presented about her whatsoever. She had paid, She they were saying, a quarter of a million dollars, which is a lot, but it's not half of what he'd already paid into it. And then he was presented as this deadbeat. Mm-hmm. He's the deadbeat who bought the house in the first place, so I don't really think that's relevant. Mm-hmm. So and then he the only piece that thing that he took was something that he would have bought, which mm-hmm. was her engagement ring mm-hmm. or maybe was her mo- his mother's. Mm-hmm. Also, no evidence presented about that. It was just presented as this suspicious circumstance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but not in any other way. Like there's just and then the thing that I think is finally he's the, pointing his finger at the, me, the folks. Clincher, the chucklehead uh, district attorney or whatever he was, a state's prosec- attorney, yeah, prosecutor, prosecutor is now. What's his job now? Representing Shanti's estate to try and get the money, make mm-hmm. sure the money goes to the kid and doesn't pay back mm-hmm. um, the the husband or the mom, right? Who are still out money that has mm-hmm. not been paid back to them mm-hmm. from. Um, from the wife, from yeah. Shanti. I, I just think that the money is at the heart of this. They didn't do any real investigating of that, and they kept talking about this in terms of like, uh, like okay, so he goes to bathhouses. Like, I don't know that that's not a thing that they they got off on, or it was, you know, she was happy to have him off her back, or we literally. T- we talk about this before, and I know this is a dicey area just because this particular guy looks so guilty in other ways, but the, this use of circumstantial evidence of somebody did something else I don't like that I judge them for doing that's not necessarily criminal but maybe morally questionable, and I decide that alone makes them capable of murder, as a gay person, that really gets my hackles up. It got me up with Scott Peterson, who I also believe is guilty, but when the specials presented the fact that he had rented porn, pay-per-view porn, as somehow evidence that he's murdered his wife, that's not enough. Somebody acting kind of dirty and slutty in private is not enough to prove that they're a fucking I don't even think it's relevant. I don't even think it should be brought up or reported. I just find that sort of stuff to be about judgment and not about the crime. Like, the thing that is the most noteworthy to me about this particular story was that there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever. And this man is still in jail. Mm -hmm. He has not only not been given a trial, but he is still in jail and there is no evidence that he did this crime. Mm -hmm. And I tend to think that when it finally does make it to a court, like any lawyer worth his salt is going to be able to get him off because there's no evidence. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lack of struggle, the lack of struggle wounds on his body is really... I ju- yeah, it's just really... I just don't see how they could possibly... And I was really... Like, my biggest reaction to this was, A, oh, wow, so having your, your having a dietary issues after you've had an appendectomy, 
is really a bit is really a more common. Oh, sentence. I went. I went. Everybody drink. I made it about me. I went to the Eric is going to decide I was poisoning him place. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. But he was handling her food, and I don't handle your food. Nobody. You don't let anybody handle your food. You're like the most. You, everything is farm to table with you. You go to the farm. You pick it. You bring it home. You make it in your kitchen. Don't, you don't, don't let you anyone just come have life size pictures of me picking food at a farm, or just being at a farm. Being at a farm. Yeah, I that was just say. none of those things seem real. Like that. That's that didn't happen. And then the other thing I felt really that we had been, we had been tricked. This was bait and switch. Mm-hmm. They made it seem like it was going to be all about the home renovation thing. And I think at some level, monetarily, it was. Right. But they didn't really focus on that very much. No. And it was the only evidence that they really did present was that they couldn't get the two of them on camera. Yeah. If she was refusing to do the show or if she was going to queer this deal for him and stick him with that house that was getting mm-hmm. ready to fall down, mm-hmm. then he was going to be, then I could see the things getting ugly. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, we are actually going to do another True Crime TV Club next week. Because we just love them so sort much. And we've of. been on break. So, but yeah. it's really, it's kind of like, I think it's really more like a... Um, yeah. It's like a documentary about... Let me explain our motives with this one. So we are approaching, <laughs> as we're recording this, I'm just going to take over. We are approaching... Uh-oh. Our motives. The... Um, my motives, at least, that I forced on you during our production yeah, meeting. Yeah, because I'm such a pushover. Uh, we are approaching the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, and we wanted to commemorate them in some way that was not about reliving what I, forgive me, disaster porn of the day itself, yeah. which can be a sort of addictive and destructive thing, I think, for me at least. Um, so we found a documentary that touches on 9-11, but in a way that may be unexpected. And it's called The Woman Who Wasn't There. And, it's, and I want to say something yes. that we don't usually say Okay. on this show. Usually you give this disclaimer saying... If you have, if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to watch it. We're going to totally detail it. I really think you should watch it. Okay. Before we talk about it next week, I really do. If you can't, it's fine. It's the same thing. We're going to total spoiler alert. We're going to totally go through the entire show. Yeah. But I think you should watch it. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested to find out why you think that is. I'm hearing this for the first time. That's okay. really that's yeah. That's my tip for this for uh, for next week. It's not technically true crime. Um, you'll see what we mean when you see it or hear us talk about it next week. And we're like, yeah, the crime is sort of 9/11 is the crime, but yeah, we'll see. But the, and there's a lot in the title that you're gonna there's a lot to be there's a lot out. to be revealed and a lot to unpack. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, yeah. It was Christopher, great find. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad, really looking yeah. forward to uh, to going yeah. through. Yeah, my next response week. was, I'm going to say multi level. Like it was multi. Obviously, one of those levels is always about me as, of course, as a party people the principal level. But yeah, it is. A, it is. A, was a fascinating watch. Okay, until then, I'm Christopher Rice. Oh, are we done? I think so. Aren't we? Didn't you say five minutes? A minute and a half. Okay, sorry. Well, you know, <laughs> okay. I just sometimes we like we did that a couple of weeks ago. Where I it was ended- like, oh, okay. Well, we're finished. Uh, well, there's 20 minutes left. But Sorry, sure, I we actually, can be done. He said I, we were way further ahead than I thought when he said five minutes. So I was sort of like wrap up time. <laughs> anyway, um, no, I just wanted to be sure that we had, you know. Given the little bastards their fair share. Absolutely. Um, all the wonderful party people. I've been deprived of our delightful company all these weeks due to my unfortunate incarceration. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're fine. <laughs>
And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you look fine to me. You're, Knock it off. You're light as a feather yeah. right now. You're yeah. just sparkling all over the place. Absolutely. All right. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. I don't know when then is, but <laughs> I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher <gasps> and Eric. Gasp. Thank you. This is TDPS.